a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so let's start with some good news, shall we? It's going to rain again. We just don't know when. <laughs> so here's what I want to invite you to do with me. I want to invite you to take a faith experiment with me. Now you might say, this is crazy, I'm not going to do it. And nobody will scold you for it. But I want to invite you to take this journey with me anyway. So I've started carrying my umbrella. Now, there are some people that have looked at me strange, but then again, look at me. I mean, I am strange, so it's all right. There's no way for me to know if they're looking at me strange because of how I am or because I'm carrying an umbrella. Either way, I'll take it because I believe God's going to send us rain, and I hope that you will join me in that. Take your umbrella with you as a sign of faith that God longs to be good to his people. Take that umbrella with you that God is going to send it. Now, don't listen to the weather guy. There's no problems with meteorologists. I'm not down on them. But God sends the rain in due season. All the weatherman can do is tell you a little bit about it once it's fallen. Praise God, though, that our God provides all good things. Let's talk about one of those things. Now, we have an offering that we take here at the church, one that is an ongoing offering. Some of them are seasonal. We do some at Christmas, one at Easter, and so on. But we do one that's all year long. It's a special offering we call Hope 1-8. It is an offering based on Acts 1-8. The word of the Lord there says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the passage that roots itself around that, that offering. And that offering is designed for immediate needs, things that we know happen that might need some quick money to give towards certain things. There's a committee that orchestrates it, a committee of, of members who, who leads that out, and, and we are delighted to tell you today that as of this last week, we voted as a committee uh, to send some money to serve with Texas Baptist Men, a disaster relief group uh, in Hawaii. Let me tell you a little bit about Texas Baptist Men. They are a disaster relief group that goes all over the world. When they show up in a disaster, you can be, be sure of a few things. One is they're going to come ready prayed up and prepared, and two, they're going to make a difference where they serve. Now, when they come here, when they come to something in the continental U.S., they roll in with trailers, a laundry trailer, a shower trailer, and most importantly, a food trailer. I don't know how much chili they made one day when I was there with them, but they were stirring it with a boat oar. Let's just say that, all right? They know how to take care of people. They left right after the fires stopped in Hawaii and have been there ever since. Now, you might say, well, that's tough duty. Well, serving in disaster relief zones really isn't that exotic, no matter where you are. The Lord is using them. They asked for help, and we responded. We gave them $25,000 from that Hope One Eight fund, and we said, we believe in the work you're doing. Go and serve people. Bless them. Now, you might say, well, Darren, that's, that's bragging. You're not supposed to say what we gave... But I want you to know the money that you gave us, we're not sitting on. It's going out the door. We're using it to bless the people that are hurting. I want us to take a moment right now to pray for our brothers and sisters in Hawaii and for those that are trying to serve them like our Texas Baptist men. Let's pray together. Gracious Jesus, we thank you today for the Texas Baptist men who are there serving our brothers and sisters in Hawaii. We didn't know these wildfires were coming, Lord, but you did. We didn't know, Lord, that the disaster would be so awful, but you did. My prayer is that you would today show your kindness, show your peace, 
Show your mercy, show your comfort in those places where they are so broken. I thank you, Lord, for people like Texas Baptist men who are there serving right now. And I pray, Father God, that you would use our lives to encourage them that they are not alone. Use these meager gifts that we've given to bless them, to encourage them, and to remind them that they are loved. We're grateful, Lord, for your love for us and that it sustains us. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, the Texas Baptist men also asked us to adopt a church in the disaster zone. We'll get back to you with that. And they asked us to consider taking a journey down there. Now, I was trying to think, would it be easy to get a trip together <clears throat> to go do disaster relief in Maui? Hmm. I bet I could get some volunteers for that. You reckon? Maybe some of you. We'll get back to you when we know a little bit more about that. So we conclude our series that we've done all summer long, God is in my story. My prayer is that you can say that too, that God is in your story. And that if you, the Bible was still being written and your story was a part of it, that we would see your story reflecting God's power in it like we do with our, the story about our friend Philip. Let's talk about Philip for a minute. Let's say this. Philip was moved and motivated by God's directive hand. When we see his story, the section my friend Keith read so well just a moment ago, we recognize that it's part B of his story. Part A is at the beginning of the chapter where we find him being used by God in the northern reaches of the nation of Israel in an area that we call Samaria, up around the, the valleys and the lush green part of the world. And, and God is blessing and God is doing amazing things there. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed. God is doing an incredible work. And yet, and yet, Philip is constantly mindful that he is in distribution, not management. Well, what does that mean, Darren? It means this. He is led by the Spirit of God at just the right time to do God's will. It's up to God's direction, not Philip's. And so God comes to him through an angel with a direction. Let's see it again in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Here we see a presumption, and let's make clear about it. We see a willing heart and a listening ear in our friend Philip. Philip was willing to go where the Holy Spirit sent him. He was willing to go. And why shouldn't he be? After all, an angel brings an invitation. Now, you want to talk about an invitation you can't turn down. This is it. Let's talk about this word angel because it gets tossed around a lot, but let's make sure we understand what the biblical meaning of it is. Angel, the word literally means messenger of God. It means somebody who is the bearer of God's word and the one who comes from his presence to bring that word. Praise God for messengers like this angel. The angel comes down and he says, here's what we want you to do. Philip, get up and go down to the south road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. This, this is a desert place. And get verse 27, the first few words. And he rose and went. <laughs> he was redirected and repurposed for God's plan. 
Have you ever been walking one way and all of a sudden you realize you weren't headed the right direction so you changed course? Have you ever been driving and realized you were headed down the wrong road? Now, maybe like me, that's a regular occurrence that you see somebody turning around, maybe on Midkiff or Midland Drive, just whip it around or turn a UE right there. But I want you to see in this moment God's direction for our friend Philip. There's a lot of people that say, I wish God would make it that clear to me. Well, in some ways he has. Make sure that you're spending time in God's word on a regular basis and his word will become more evident to you. But for today, let's proclaim this. God gave Philip an invitation. He realized he was being redirected and repurposed according to God's plan, and so he went. He left this lush, green, beautiful portion of the nation of Israel, and he went to the desert road where nobody was. Now, for us, that may reflect something of a dichotomy that we're not comfortable with. The old wisdom that says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, means stay where you are if God is moving there. Don't run away from it. Why would God want me to move, Philip might have said. Is this God's really, his plan for me to leave where I am to go? The question is simply this, am I willing to trust God or not? Am I willing to take God's word seriously? Am I willing to let his word speak into my life and tell me what I should do and where I should go? The underlying question beneath that one is this. Who's really in charge of my life? I want to ask you that question because it is the the key question for understanding Philip's story and the one that goes along with him. Who's really in charge of your life? You see, somebody is. Somebody's going to sit on that throne in the middle of your life and make the decisions, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) and make the decisions that you will be guided by. My question for you is, who is that? If it's you, then understand Jesus needs and wants that chair. It's not that Jesus is so arrogant and full of himself that that he doesn't trust you, it's that he knows we are sinful people. We are broken people. The word of God is clear. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it's equally clear. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This, friends, means that he is in charge of our life and deserves that center throne in our lives. May we grant it to him like Philip did. So God sends our friend Philip down, down, down to the south road, the one that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza, down through the desert. When you get south of the Dead Sea, headed out toward the uh, continent of Africa and toward northern Egypt, it becomes quite desolate. It makes us look positively tropical. It is not a friendly place to find oneself, and yet it is here. But God says to Philip, go there. Go there and meet somebody that I will show you. Verse 27, the second half, introduces us to him. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. See, here's the essence of it. Our God longs to be found. 
the Ethiopian eunuch, he went looking for God. He had traveled all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem, some 1,200 miles. Now, for us, that's a little bit difficult to contextualize. We might think, well, what does that even look like? Well, let's just talk about that for a second. If you were to go to our parking lot where your vehicle is parked and get in and say, you know, I think I just want to go to Los Angeles. I can't imagine why you would want to do that, but if you did want to go to Los Angeles, you would get in your car and you'd start driving west. It's 1,192 miles from here to city center of Los Angeles. I checked it on Google Maps this morning. 1,192 miles. In other words, just about the same trip that our friend the eunuch took. Now, if you were driving in a car, that'd be about 20 hours. Longer if it's an electric car, but that's another story altogether. We do live in the oil patch, don't we? So, this man, he had come a long way. And yet, when he made the trip to Jerusalem, he didn't find what he was looking for. He was still searching. We might say it this way. Here is an important man, humbled. The man had more opportunities than you can ever begin to imagine. They were relatively limitless for him in the position that he had, one of the most trusted roles in the kingdom. He was as trusted as any role in, 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 in the entire realm. There'd be almost nothing withheld from him, and yet he found that there was still this hole, this peace that was lacking. And so while he's riding home, he's reading. Now let's be clear, friends. See it in verse 28, right in the middle. Seated in his chariot. This man is not driving the chariot. He's riding in the chariot. In other words, he has a chauffeur. Somebody's taking him on the way. We might presume that he has an entourage, those who would travel with him. And yet, he's still looking. The eunuch's trip had a purpose, to find God. That's what he went to to Jerusalem looking for. He thought he would find God in Jerusalem. And you know, having been to Jerusalem several times, I'll say this. I don't know how anyone can go to Jerusalem and not find something of the Spirit of God there. I just don't know it. And yet, I will also say that if you're expecting to restrict God to that city, then you're going to be mistaken. See, that's the mistake the, the Ethiopian eunuch made. See, he built God a box And he said, hey, God, here's the parameters that I want you to fit in, all right? This wide, this deep, this tall, you fit inside this box, and I'll find you in Jerusalem, all right? We'll just make that arrangement. But I want to tell you, friends, God is not to be found that way because he cannot be limited. We must look at things differently to see God. I brought a visual, an optical illusion, if you will, that perhaps will help us see how to look at things differently. I want you to take a look at this picture as it comes up on the screen. I want to ask you, what do you see when you look at this picture? There's actually two images in it. Most of us see one or the other right away. If you are like me, you see the young lady looking somewhere off to the left in the distance behind us, behind her. If you are like others, then you see an old lady looking to the left of the screen. Now that I've called both of them out, hopefully you can see both of them. Rarely does someone see both of them right away. 
This illustration has been used many, many times. And, and it's a point about perspective, thinking about things differently, seeing things differently. Sometimes we need to broaden our capacity for thinking, broaden our capacity for seeing things in order that we don't miss something important. Can I tell you today, finding God is far more important than finding either one of those ladies in that picture. I want to encourage you to recognize today that when God longs to be found, it may mean that we have to look for him differently than we're, we're expecting. And that brings us to the next thing. The Spirit of God leads us if we're willing to be led. The Spirit of God leads us if we're willing to be led. I want you to see verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? I want you to imagine for just a moment our friend Philip, all right? God has taken him to the desert road. And he says, hey, Philip, you've come this far. Now here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run up alongside this chariot as it comes past. And I want you to ask the man that's seated there if he understands what he's reading. Consider with me how foolish you might feel if God had asked something so bold of you. Well, what if he doesn't want to talk to me? What if he won't listen to me? What if he doesn't believe me? What if he doesn't want my input? What if he thinks I'm intolerant? What if he thinks I'm being somehow foolish about it. It's sort of like the story Michael Jr., a comedian, tells. I've shared this before, I believe, but Michael Jr. tells the story about his own daughter coming to him in tears when she was about four years old. She was very upset. Her older brother had called her a name, and she was upset about it. She came to tell her daddy. Her daddy said, well, what did he call you? Well, through tears, she said, he said I was ignorant. And he said, well, honey, do you know what that means? She said, no. And he said, then you are ignorant, darling. <laughs> and then he had to deal with his wife as the little girl went to her. Perhaps some humility would have been good for both of them. And that's the point that I'm trying to get at. When Philip is asked to run up alongside the chariot, it requires humility. When the eunuch sees Philip running alongside of him, he has to invite him into the conversation. I want you to celebrate this with me, that humility will lead us to find God. Humility will lead us to his presence every time. We can find something in humility that we won't find anywhere else. The problem that most of us have is the same problem that Satan struggles with, arrogance, pride. We fill ourselves up and we say we're better than that. Can I tell you today, one of the greatest problems I see around us in our world today is the belief that people are inherently good. People are not inherently good. They will not do good things if you give them enough leash. They will destroy themselves. We've seen it over and over and over again. But our modern culture says, no, people are inherently good. We just need to give them enough flexibility to be who they really want to be, and then everything will be fine. 
If we haven't learned by now that's not true, I don't know when we will. Can I encourage you to recognize humility is necessary? What if the Ethiopian eunuch had said, nope, I'm good, I'm good, don't need your help, I got it covered. His arrogance would have caused him to miss God's revelation. Humility, friends, may we be wise enough to follow his example. Now let's jump back to Philip. When Philip runs alongside this chariot, we see something that is hidden in the background. It's a lifetime of preparation for Philip, revealed in a moment for the eunuch. We don't know a whole lot about Philip. We know that he was one of those chosen in Acts. We know that God used him in the early part of chapter 8. We know later in Acts that he has four daughters that are called prophetesses. We know that God blesses Philip. We believe that he becomes martyred later in his life. But for this moment, we only know that God has prepared him and he has prepared himself by understanding the word of God to be ready for just such a moment. Almost like a master artist has been painting in Philip's life to prepare him for just this moment. Artists, they're a breed all their own, aren't they? Our friend Sue Ann Campbell is an artist. If you go down the hallway, this e-hallway, you run right into her paintings down on the far end of the hall. We have another lady in our church, Emily Daw Chadwick. Emily is a gifted artist, and she was kind enough to let me use a video that is of hers. Take a look at the screens as it comes up. I, I want you to see this because it's crazy to me that she can see this and know just how to paint it. Now, I don't know what's going on, why there is a man figure with a bull head and a woman figure with a rabbit head, it really doesn't make any difference to me what the story is because I'm not the artist. She is. In her mind, she sees it. And all she's doing, as you can see, having a great time doing it, she's expressing it one brush stroke at a time. An artist can see the end from the beginning. Can I tell you today, that's how God operates in our lives. If he told us everything up front, where would we go? We might get ourselves all kind of tangled up trying to race him to the end. Instead, God reveals it one brush stroke at a time. Philip didn't know that God, in all those days of preparation, would lead him to this moment. The Ethiopian eunuch couldn't understand that this was a part of God's master plan, and yet God brings them together at just the right time, granting both of them enough humility to join hands for this journey. I want you to see the next part of the conversation because this may be the most significant part of it. And if you're here today and you would say, okay, I don't get it, Darren. I don't know what you're trying to say. Then maybe you will in verse 31 and following. <coughs> when Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? The eunuch responds in verse 31, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. If you have a study Bible, those are probably, those verses are set off 
almost like they're a quotation, because indeed they are. You will find this section in Isaiah 53. Isaiah, a book written some 750 years earlier, telling not only about the fall that is to come for the nation of Israel and the southern kingdom specifically, but also about the Messiah who will make things right, who will bring things all back into order. And this section right here is the section called The Suffering Servant. It's one of the high points of the entire book. I'd encourage you, if you're one who is in a dark season right now, then let Isaiah 53 and 54 be something you read today. You see, here's what we know about the eunuch. He went looking for a God who was victorious. What he found was a suffering servant. Maybe it is that God has something else in mind for you too. In verse 34, the eunuch says to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet speak, about himself or about someone else? I want you to hear this. Asking honest questions about God opens the door for God. Asking honest questions about God opens the door for God. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I can't ask God why. Who said? Let me tell you, friends, God delights in the question why. Let today be the day that you call on him and say, hey, God, what's going on here? I don't understand. Because sometimes God, well, finding God will be in the last place you looked. I won't ask if it's happened to you, but I'll say it's happened to me, walking around the house looking for my glasses with them parked on top of my head. Walking around the house looking for my, my truck keys when they're in my hand. I know that's never happened to any of you, but it's happened to me. Sometimes, perhaps what we need is another perspective, like the eunuch did. He wasn't expecting a suffering Messiah, but that's what God sent. Maybe it is that which we needed most of all in the first place. Rarely is God who we expect him to be. Is the prophet speaking of himself or someone else? Honest questions, friends, are God's delight. This is an honest question, and some might say, can God handle my honesty? Can God handle me being so blunt? Let me tell you, friends, our God already knows your honesty. There's no sense in trying to hide it. He knows every thought you've ever had and ever will have. He knows the intentions of your heart and everything that's going on within them. Let today be the day you open it to him. Let's wrap ourselves up with this. As we see this process unfold, verse 35 makes it clear. Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We might say he gave him the gospel, and thank God he did. When he heard the gospel, I want you to see verse 36, he gave a decisive and deliberate response. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, well, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Ah, it's almost like, it's almost like Somebody turned the lights on for the eunuch. Like somebody flipped the switch. You know, 
when we walk around in our own home in the dark, it's no problem because most of the time we know where things are, right? We can get around in our homes in the dark because we probably put that piece of furniture there. We hung that painting in that spot. We put that lamp in that particular spot. But we see better with the lights on. And that's most definitely true in spiritual matters. For what happened between verse 30, 35 and 36 is that the gospel cleared away the confusion. The gospel brushed away those clouds, caused him to say, now I see. Not only do I understand, now I know what I'm supposed to do about it. Ah, praise the Lord for that. He knew that doing nothing was not an option. He had to step out and do something about it, and so he said, hey, here's some water. Why can't I get baptized today, right now, this very minute? Hmm. Baptism. You saw the baptism a little while ago. What a testimony. I'm so proud of Claudia. That was hard. It was not easy to step into the waters this morning. She was challenged, nervous as a cat. Let me tell you, she was struggling. It reminded me of another person that I baptized some years ago. You see, we used to do this baptism catch-up day that we called First Step Day. We did it at Lake Jacksonville in East Texas where we were before we came here. And one day we were planning and, and I got a call from this man named Thomas and Thomas said, Darren, I need to come see you. I knew Thomas, he was a part of our church and his wife and, and all his children and grandchildren were too. And so Thomas comes to see me, he's 72 years old. Thomas walks in and he says, hey Darren, I need to talk to you about my salvation. I said, great, that's wonderful. He said, I got saved when I was 12 at a, at a church camp. And I said, wonderful, I'm glad to hear that. And he said, but I've never been baptized. I've waited 60 years. You see, I thought I would get baptized with my children, and then I didn't. And then I thought I would get baptized with my grandchildren, and then I didn't. I, 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 wanna, I want you to baptize me this Sunday at the lake. But I don't want you to tell my family. I want to surprise them with it. Let me tell you, I've had a lot of requests to do baptisms. That one takes the cake. When Thomas stood up to start walking down toward me, his family didn't think much about it. There was a lot of activity. We were out on the lake shore. There was lots of things going on. Most of us were wearing swimsuits, and it was a lake party after the baptisms were over. No big deal, right? But when Thomas turned to start walking down to where I was, it changed. His family realized what was happening first. It was a celebration. We baptized Thomas that day. And I'll tell you, I'm not over it yet. There were not very many dry eyes on the shore as I shared the story that I just shared with you. And there were certainly none in the water. I'll tell you, friends, this, this, from the eunuch all the way down to my friend Thomas, all the way down to my friend Claudia this morning, is a faithful and exemplary testimony. You don't have to have all the answers to get the important part right. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to be trained. All you have to, be do, have to do is be willing. Let me just end with this. Could it be that the Spirit of God drew you here today for you to hear this message about the eunuch 
in order that you might respond. Maybe you, like the eunuch, don't know Jesus, and you're here asking honest questions. Maybe you're in the middle of a crisis, a struggle, a disappointment, and you would say, I need to understand more about what Jesus can do in my life. Maybe you, in the moment that God has given you, need to respond today. Well, I got good news for you. We've got time for you to do that right here and right now. In just a moment, I'm going to step down here as soon as I pray, and I'll be waiting for you, me and my team, waiting for you right down here. This is the day God has given you to do something about it. Like the eunuch, it's going to require humility. But God stands ready to receive you. This day is the one he's given you. What will you do with it? Maybe you've already done that, but like my friend Thomas, you've never been baptized. Hey, I got good news for you. The water's still warm. We can go take care of that right now. Or maybe you'd want to wait. Either way, this is the moment God has given you to respond. My prayer is that you will do that very thing right here and right now. Could it be that God has moved in your life and you need to respond in another way? I'll be waiting for you right down here. Maybe you need to pray. This altar is open for you. My prayer is that you will respond today, this day, right here and right now. Let's pray together. Now, Jesus, we come to you, the giver of all good gifts and the one who longs, longs for us to find you. My prayer is that, Jesus, today we would respond to you in whatever way that's appropriate for us, that today we would respond to you. My prayer is, Jesus, for those who are struggling right now, who would say, I know I need to respond, but I don't want to yet. Break down the walls of confusion, break down the walls of hostility, break down the walls of rebellion, break down the walls of arrogance and pride, and. Let us respond, Jesus, because you, you long for us to do so. You died on the cross to give us that chance. You raised back to life to give us new life. And so let us respond to you today, Jesus. I pray for those who need to do so. And I ask God your mercy over this response time right here and right now. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.